welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I'm your host, Patrick Mayhorn. I'm joined by co-host Ryan Donnelly, who has been entrapped in the thralls of a QAnon-style uh, situation online. Ryan's brain is gone. It has rotted. Um, he cannot escape the posting void. He's trapped in it forever, and he's he's loving it. He's loving every second of it. Ryan, how are you doing from the cybernet? You're, you're calling in live from... Uh, you're in the computer. You're in the internet. Yeah, I've melted inside my computer. I cannot get out. I'm I'm quite literally surfing the web. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm inside the computer. I'm I'm on the digital skateboard. Oh yeah. It's good, man. Yeah. Um, I can't stop with this shoot. I'm fucking addicted. Like I I <laughs> never really. I shouldn't say that. Uh-huh. I I've always loved a conspiracy, like to a certain level. I wasn't like a 9/11 guy. Yeah. But. Like when I was like eight years old, my grandma was big into JFK and she gave me like her, <laughs> some of her she gave me a couple books. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> Explain my brain a little bit. Yeah. I've been I, I, I just I'm built for this shit. Yeah. I'm kind of understanding the QAnon guys a little bit now. I kind of yeah. get like the unfortunately for them that wasn't real and this is. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure every guy who's ever been through conspiracy says that. I'm having a lot of fun, dude. I yeah. am deep in the minds on this stuff. Yeah, you are gleefully taking notes on a criminal conspiracy. You can't get enough of taking <laughs> notes on a criminal conspiracy. Um, yeah, that is some great Ryan lore there, that you were you were deep in the JFK books when you were eight. That's awesome. Um, yeah, man. We've, yeah. Uh, we've got a, a week nine of college football here to talk about. We've got the watch list all set up. Uh, but before we do that, we do have there's a little bit of of news from your uh, your side of the digital web that you are entrapped in, um, and then also I would like to talk about the CUSA a little bit because I love to talk about the CUSA. Um, let's talk news first. We hit this in great depth on the premium show this past week. Premium show, of course, accessible only to Meet at Midfield subscribers. Go to meetatmidfield.com. And you get access to the weekly premium episode of this show, the weekly premium episode of High Street Freaks that you do with Kevin Harris. Um, you get the premium posts, the written stuff, that uh, everything that goes up on the website, and the message board, um, which is uh, – the message board, I, I, I don't remember who it was on there that said this, but it's a really great way if you are interested in – and this is a very good thing to be interested in, just kind of the psychosis of message board posters, and you want to get the gist of it without being exposed directly to the nastiness that comes with, like, every other message board around college football in the entire world. Um, the Meet at Midfield message board is a really great way to do that because we don't have those guys. We don't have, like, the extremely nasty perverts who make those sites completely unusable. But you can still yeah, get a... Yeah, just the people that own the site. Yeah, yeah. you can still get a, a good idea for what the what the thought process is, you get kind of a, a curated, filtered version, and so you can really still enjoy all of it without, you know, concern about, like, seeing the worst thing that you've ever seen a person say uh, once every couple of days. There's none of that. Nobody is on there saying the worst thing that a person can say. Uh, everybody is... I don't think that they are being normal, but they are being good, and so it's it's a very good message board. It's a very good website. We would love to have you go on over there and subscribe. Um, Ryan, what is it that uh, do you, you want to tell people what the latest news is in this? Of course, what we're referencing is the Michigan sign stealing scandal that has completely encompassed your entire life and, and continues to be the biggest news story of the college football week, um, which I'm deeply upset about because I want to talk about football, but it seems like I'm the only one. So what, what's going on here? 
Uh, so Dana O'Neill, who is a sports writer for the Washington Post, a lot of people know her for her college basketball coverage, but she is a broader writer for them. Um, published an article, um, uh, published an article essentially detailing where this story came from, like who initially reported this to NCAA. It appears that an outside investigative firm uh, has approached the NCAA with uh, documents and videos um, with the firm obtained from computer drives maintained and accessed by multiple Michigan coaches, um, according to two people familiar with the matter. Um, it basically, and she says here, evidence that suggests the scandal's impact could broaden beyond the suspension of one low-level assistant. Um, there is a lot to go through in here. And so I'm just going to read some quick highlights on this for the New Michigan story, because this is not what the podcast is about today, but we do kind of have to talk about it. Um, she said that the firm said it obtained, uh, obtained from computer drives, maintained and accessed by multiple Michigan coaches, according to people familiar with the matter, evidence suggests the scandal's impact. Like I said, could it, could it go beyond that? Among the pieces of evidence the firm presented, these people said, was a detailed schedule of Michigan's planned sign-stealing travel for the rest of the season, <clears throat> listing opponent schedules, which games Michigan scouts would attend, and how much money was budgeted for travel and tickets to scout each team. Um, later in the article, it says, days later, the outside firm told the NCAA cell phone videos depicting the coaching staffs from these games were uploaded to a computer drive maintained and accessed by Stallions, as well as several other Michigan assistants and coaches. Um the bombshell here is that they have direct proof of Michigan coaches and assistants accessing these videos after stallions or people he paid to record those uh, those sideline signals were uploaded to these, which means, one, the lone wolf theory that it was him alone is not supported any further. Uh, this kind of broader, um, I don't know, network, as, as it was called, the vast network, uh, was known by coaches and utilized by them as videos were being used by people directly on Michigan staff, which is fairly massive for the scope of this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big, that was a pretty big hurdle that we talked about on, on Tuesday. It's not made clear in the story, the coaches who are implicated in this. Um, I, <laughs> we were, we were joking before the show about a couple of the guys who were maybe pretty obvious ones, but we're not going to, we're not going to get ourselves sued on this podcast. And so just read between the lines, I think, on some of the guys who are maybe a little bit closer with Connor Stallions and some of the ones who weren't. Um, yeah, that's a big deal. Hey, that's a that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty significant note in this. Um, I'm curious about the origin, of course, and I don't know that we would ever know this or that it's like necessary. I'm just curious about the origin of this this private investigation who launched it and why um it would be really funny if this is the ohio state uh, ryan day private investigator theory uh come to life i don't know if it is that but um yeah it's a that's a that's another big note and it does seem like the big notes just keep uh pretty much just keep coming yeah it's i mean it, it, it reads like a political hatchet job right like they're drip drip dripping new information day after day um i think this like the leaks that are being given to reporters where they're being given to, who they're being given to seem calculated. Um to me, like that's it sounds like a crazy conspiracy, but like that is my no, honest they do perception that. of this. I, I don't yeah, I, they do that like, intentionally. It, it might sound like <clears throat> it might sound like that, but like from we you and I have both worked in college football media for a while. Um they do that. That's a thing that is it's not like this is part of what a, a job of a communications department is. They do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And it, it's like, especially because of the fact the NCAA is not going to be able to do anything about this after the season. I think this lends credence to some of the stuff reported elsewhere, particularly by ESPN, 
that this is coming from Big Ten schools trying to put pressure on the Big Ten to punish Michigan in the short term. Yeah. Right. Like that's the only way this makes sense. Like otherwise, it seems like a weird fucking coincidence that just everyone's getting little pieces day by day. Um, they continuously cover new material and new ground and ratchet up. That does not seem unintentional to me. Yeah. Um, even the Richard Johnson piece that came out today, which we haven't talked about, but essentially, I don't think um, we really need to. It's kind of a kind no. of a silly story. <laughs> yeah, everyone's seen it. It had the Michigan Manifesto piece. It had the guy's background. It's like funny, but yeah. Um, to me, even the conversations leaked in that, like the part about his text of him saying, "Oh, got the signals off off of the TV games, whatever." Um, that seems pretty intentionally leaked from the Michigan side, right? That's a counteracting point because yeah. it paints him as this crazy weirdo who did this all by himself. And that specifically mentions he didn't get stuff from, from the sidelines. I mean, like that's yeah. Come on. Like, w- like who would be motivated to report that? Right. Like uh, this is all coming from people motive. Like every piece of information you're reading is being leaked by someone with a motivation to get you to read it, to buy their side of the story. Yeah. Um, That's not crazy to say. It's how this stuff works. This is like, this should be understood as political reporting designed to create pressure in a situation. Yeah, that's why you, um, that's why you leak things is because you have a motivated reason to do so. It, you you don't just do it because you believe in the the sanctity of journalism, right? Like you you are telling a a side of a story whenever you are a a source leaking something, and that that would be uh, certainly that is the case here. Is is various uh, groups of 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 whatever origin within pre- presumably within the Big Ten cropping up and sharing whatever information it is that they have with their specifically, you know, the, the sources that they are specific or the, the writers they're specifically close to. Um, and, uh, yeah, it does, it does seem like it is a, just a, a slow drip of every day. There's a new thing of, of varying importance. Um, some not, yeah. not especially important, like the sports illustrated piece, kind of a, not, a fluff piece wouldn't be the right word, just kind of a funny little, sidebar about like hey this guy also it's a great way to get people to read you yeah Yeah. this guy had a 600 page manifesto about how he would run michigan and and all of this stuff like okay yeah that's 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 a that's a pretty cool thing to do i guess um but this one is not that the the washington post story is very much not that so that's the latest that we have on all of this it is as we have alluded to still developing and will continue to develop i would guess that there will be more news um tomorrow and the day after that and presumably the day after that as well and then indefinitely so the next time we uh, record on this podcast i i can only imagine that jim harbaugh will be uh incarcerated he'll be in federal yeah, prison drawn and quartered yeah he'll, tarred be, and feathered. he'll be drawn yeah. and quartered tarred and feathered they're gonna do all of them they're doing every uh old style you know punishment they're 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 bringing him to the the edge of the cliff and if he can fly then he's a witch and if he can't then he died a good christian death all of that stuff he's doing that um it's gonna be uh it's gonna be really cool to see if he can fly we're all looking forward to that uh so we will we will update the story as the story is updated um i would like to talk real quick about the tuesday night games that we just saw in conference usa um, not going to go super long on this, but these are obviously games that fall outside of the scope of the watch list, given the way that the watch list works. There's also games in the conference on Wednesday night that you will have seen by now. Um, but the big ones were Tuesday night and they were both very interesting. Um, New Mexico state gets a 27 to 24 win over Louisiana tech, uh, kicks a, what was essentially a game winning field goal with a little over five minutes left gets one defensive stop, I think, on a fourth down, or no, it was a fumble. It was a fumble in the backfield, and then gets another defensive stop with time basically running out. 
uh, on a fourth down forced incompletion. Two really, really pretty hits to, to make those plays happen. Um, New Mexico State now 6-3 and three on, on the season. They are, I, I believe, I have not actually <laughs> looked into the rules on the uh, from the NCAA on bowl eligibility for a team that plays 13 games, which this one does because they went to Hawaii. Um, I think you have to get seven from what I have gathered from people replying to me. I think that you need seven to be bowl eligible, so they, they only have six right now. I have a pretty good feeling with four games left that they're going to get one more at least. Um, these guys are good. These guys are really good. They're fun. Uh, Diego Pavia has uh, not only continued his form from last season at quarterback, he's been better. He was really – this was a this was a quieter game from him as a passer, but he's been a good runner. He's been a really good player for them this season. Just a, a fun guy to watch. Um, I like a lot of the guys on this offense. The defense is physical. They hit hard. And uh, just a, a ton of credit due to, uh, to to Jerry Kill for the job that he has done there. Almost certainly going to take these guys to back-to-back bowl games. This program has not done that since the 1950s. It was, I think it was 59 and 60 that they did it last. Um, it is a program that has not seen success on this level in a tremendously long time. It's been since the 60s, since they had back-to-back winning seasons. Um, they are yeah. not only doing that, they are also a serious contender in Conference USA, especially with Jacksonville State unable to participate in the postseason. Um, they, I believe, only have one conference loss at this point, and, and they have still left on the schedule a game against Western Kentucky coming up, not this upcoming, the the next week, but the week after that. That's a big one. And then they get, uh, they also have Middle Tennessee on the schedule, and then they end the season at home with an Auburn, they, they have an Auburn visit, but then they end at home uh, against Jacksonville State. These guys could be in the Conference USA Championship game, especially if Western Kentucky continues to collapse, which is the other game here. Liberty 42, Western Kentucky 29. It was not that close. Western Kentucky scored 19 of its 29 points in the fourth quarter when the game was essentially out of reach. Um, just uh, another good win for Liberty. Liberty now 8-0 and on the season, really looking like they're just not going to lose this year. Um, Caden Salter has been excellent. They're really getting a feel for how to use him, not just as a quarterback, but in the running game. Um, that offense was was cooking. Uh, on the other side of this, man, Western Kentucky, I think we, 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 were, we were wondering coming into the season and have been for a couple years now about when do you see diminishing returns when you are just hiring copy of a copy offensive coordinators? Of course, they lost their first guy in this run, Zach Kitley, to Texas Tech. They just lost mm-hmm. Ben Arbuckle this last offseason. They're on, I think, their third uh, uh, guy from this coaching tree. You're seeing it. The diminishing returns have arrived. This offense is not very good. Uh, they didn't score in the second half. And in, in, yeah. in the two games preceding this one, they didn't score until the fourth quarter in in, in this one in the second half. Uh, the offense just isn't very good, honestly. Austin Reed is still is you know he's a good quarterback. They have some guys at wide receiver I like Malachi Corley and have for a while, but the defense is bad and the offense is not really dynamic. It's not dangerous in the way that it was. This is not an amazing Liberty defense, and they really they really shut them down. I think that it is just about. I think it's come in time that Western Kentucky changes some things in the way that it that it operates because we are seeing. We're seeing it come to a head a little bit here, and they are now playing from behind for the CUSA, you know, championship bid against presumably Liberty. Um, they uh, they need to make up a game, and they could do that against New Mexico State, but they also could not do that, and that seems almost more likely at this point. They just haven't looked very good. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think also, I mean, the challenge Western Kentucky to get into here as well is that like the run defense is genuinely maybe the worst in college football. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, like they give 323 yards on the ground at six yards of carry last night. And, and that's, that's including stack yardage. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's really, really yeah. not good when you're heading into a huge game with New Mexico state in a couple weeks, that team can run the ball. That is not a good weakness to have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I uh, I tend to agree. I mean, it's not like a weakness for any team to have at any level no, of football. No. Like, if you, if you cannot stop the run, it's just one of those fundamental things that's hard to get past. Yeah. Um, just tackle better. But, but Just simply tackle better. Yeah. Should be more the, physical. What's wrong with you? Yeah. They're... Uh, they're particularly in a in a very bad way. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's tough, man. I don't know. I, I, I still think this offense can win them some games uh, coming up. Like, I, I mean, obviously, like you said, uh, I don't know. The UTEP game is very winnable. They'll beat Sam Houston. They'll beat FIU. I think they probably still finish with seven wins. Yeah. But just not a very good season for them. Nope. Disappointing from them. And, and I think probably some, not some like sweeping. It's not like they're going to fire, you know, Tyson Helton or anything, but probably some changes needed to their approach. I don't know that you can just do the portal rebuild, add a new offensive coordinator from within the system every single year. You might need to play some defense here at some point if you're Western Kentucky and they might want to, uh, they might want to consider that. So moving into the slate here, actually, before we do that, Ryan, do you want to tell people about home field apparel real quick? Oh yeah, baby. Uh, home field apparel is the internet's top, purveyor of vintage collegiate uh, apparel and merchandise. Uh, they are definitely the number one uh, Connor associated with Big Ten programs. I can certainly say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we love it, man. I mean, I have my uh, new Ohio State bomber jacket on the way. Yeah. They just dropped new Southern collection for those jackets. Those jackets um, the amount are, of gear... are nuts. The, the Tulane oh, one, sick, the James Madison one. Oh, there, there's some really, really cool stuff in there. They just keep churning out those really cool bomber jackets. Um, that is a, that, that's a, an extremely, one of the best, I think, pieces of just college football, college sports apparel that you can get. Like they're, they're so cool. Yeah. I mean, they're so sick. Everything they're dropping is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I have been, I have been over the moon with all the gear I've gotten from them, uh, planning to purchase more. I have some Christmas purchases planned. Uh, if you have somehow never waited into the world of home field apparel, and you want to get a discount code for your first order, it is 15% off using the code meet at midfield, all one word, um, for your first purchase. So um, get some great gear, save some money, buy some presents, buy yourself something, you've earned it. Yeah. Uh, do whatever you got to do. Yep, do whatever you got to do. You can save some money from, uh, maybe you've been purchasing some friends of yours, some tickets to games, and you're not going to be doing that anymore. You have a little bit of extra income that you can spend You can spend elsewhere. Just go to Home Field Apparel. Use that code meet at midfield for 15% off your first purchase. All right, let's talk watch list. Let's talk FBI watch list. Let's start Thursday, October 26th, the Guantanamo Bay game. Georgia State at Georgia Southern, 7.30 p.m. on ESPN2. Big game in the Sun Belt. Sun Belt produces a lot of big games pretty much every week. This is another one. The The Sun Belt East is still pretty wide open with James Madison not allowed to win it, um, which it would clearly and, and easily do if it was. Um, it's not, and so somebody else is going to have to win it. Georgia State is currently the favorite. I think Georgia State's 6-1 and one overall on the season, if memory serves. Um, they're, they're good. Georgia State is good. I was really impressed with what they did to beat Louisiana last week, and they get another chance here at a big road win at Georgia Southern with a chance to um, kind of extend that lead a little bit, and nobody else in the East really looking 
all that convincing in, in, in wanting to take it. Georgia Southern, on the other hand, currently two and one in the conference could step into that position with a win. I don't, I don't know that I think they're going to. I think Georgia State is better. Georgia State's offense is better, which is weird because that's what Georgia Southern really wants to do. The offense has just not been that good this year. Um, and uh, I, I think Georgia State probably has the juice to win this game. I think they're, they're, they're talented, and they've been able to play to that a lot better this season than they have in years past. I've been really impressed with them. Yeah, man. Uh, they have certainly been one kind of the breakout surprise of the season I, I frankly both these teams have right we've had i mean I, I know georgia southern has like some flaws but but even them like what they've done so far has been they're de- above expectations I, I think their defense has been a big improvement and that's that's a part of that's a big part of what they've been able to do the past defense is still very shaky but they're not like one of the worst defenses in america this year and that is a that's a big improvement for an offense that does want to run basically the air raid to have a competent defense opposite them is is it makes a it makes a big difference they have not been you know, perfect. Like, like you said, they're five and two, they lost to Wisconsin. Right. They lost badly to James Madison, but they took care of business against coastal against ULM. They crushed ball state. Like they've, they've generally done what they need to do. Um, this is a, I think probably a, a bigger test than those wins. I, this is a, a yeah. pretty significant. I mean, this is step an actually really good game. <laughs> yeah. This is like a really evenly matched game. Yeah. Um, I mean, the line has it by Georgia Southern at a point and a half, yeah. which basically means this, this is a one point pick them. Uh, without home field advantage and a neutral field. These are two very evenly matched teams. Yeah. Um, I think the interesting part here is both these teams have the same weakness, just they absolutely cannot stop the pass. Yeah. Um, but also both of them are pretty mediocre passing teams. Um, uh, Georgia Southern likes to pass it. Uh, Georgia, I mean, Georgia State's a pretty good passing team. Georgia Southern likes to pass it. Georgia State's a good passing team. Darren Granger's been really solid. Uh, they're like above average. I mean, I don't know. They're, they're not like... 23rd in they're passing not, success rate. That's not that bad. <laughs> I, I get that. It's not bad, but I I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't think they've lit the world on fire, right? Like, they're, they're fairly accurate, which is why they have that high success rate. Yeah. Um. I don't know. They, they don't, yeah. They kind of just have, work. they do kind of just have two receivers, Robert Lewis and Talik Williams. Those are basically the two guys that they have doing things for them. Jakari Carter is involved, but not really all that much as like anything more than a, a, a you know, a drop-off guy. Um, they've also run the ball pretty well. Marcus Carroll has been really, really, you know, really solid for them this year. Darren Granger has cut down on the interceptions, which was a big focus for him. Um, this It's been a good offense. It, it really, for Georgia State, the defense has been good at stopping the run and not good at all about stopping the pass, but the offense has been solid, which I think is a, a big part of why they're six and one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that's totally fair. And I also think the bigger concern here though, just based on, on team tendencies is that, you know, I, I'd say Georgia Southern is like a definitionally mediocre run defense. Yeah. And although Georgia state, is not the most efficient rushing team in the world. They do want to pound that rock. Yeah. Um, and they have a very good running back to do that uh, with Carroll, um, Marcus Carroll there. I think he's very impressive. Yeah. Um, they're going to run the shit out of him in this game, if I had to guess. I, I know the passing defense is bad for Georgia Southern, but if I would bet on Georgia State, just kind of progressively wearing down Georgia Southern and trying to out physical that team. Yeah. Makes it a lot easier to pass the ball as well when you can do that. Um, I think Georgia State wins. I think they probably game state them. Um, I, I think this is this is one where they hold the ball and Georgia Southern's offense is not really able to get to the tempo that it wants to get to. I think Georgia State is just better in the trenches and, and probably a better overall team, but should be a lot of fun to watch. This is a really, really good one for a weeknight game. Um, this would be a good one for a Saturday game. This would be one that would be worth watching if it was even in a in a really strong slate, but it's not. It's, it's pretty much standing alone here. 
Um, I think it would be, uh, I, I, would, I would recommend watching it if you're around on Thursday. Also on Thursday in the most wanted category, um, nice to see Virginia Tech in a, in a weeknight game again. Syracuse at Virginia Tech, 7.30 p.m. on ESPN. The Hokies are, as a lot of people have noticed this week, uh, technically in contention for the ACC. They are, they are still around um, uh-huh, and they yeah. <laughs> and they might and they might still be after this week because it's not been a good couple of weeks for Syracuse and I, I don't know that they are going to be healthy enough to really change that too much like Virginia Tech is not good I wouldn't say but another win would be another win and Virginia Tech I think could very very easily get another win here yeah yeah I mean Syracuse is just still so injured right yeah. like it's just not getting better no. <laughs> for them, I think, is the issue. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think bizarrely, FPI really likes Syracuse in this game, which I think is probably just FPI is a bad system, mm-hmm. um, if I had to guess. But but I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know what you – like, Syracuse is a good run defense, but they, like, don't really do anything else well. Yeah. Um, I think Virginia Tech's strong on through the air on both sides of the football and can defend the run a little bit. Um, they cannot run the football. Virginia Tech cannot. No. Uh, they they no. They cannot run it. Right. No. So, um, I don't know. I think they're just going to pass the show of the ball and see what happens, which is kind of a high variability outcome. Yeah. But home game for them. Syracuse looking pretty defeated right now. I don't know. Um, yeah. I guess kind of a big game for Virginia Tech. Like, yeah. I mean, you could be mild, four and four, yeah. three and one in the ACC. That would be a that would be another big another big yeah. step for Brent Pry. Like it's, it's progress is slow, but progress is progress. And they, they could, they could see some of it here. I'm curious what the atmosphere is going to be like for this one. Cause it is obviously not a heyday big East Thursday night game, which is where Virginia tech used to be so fucking good. And, and so I, I think that's really, that is the main like memory that people have of the, that era at Virginia tech is the weeknight games. This is not that, but I, I do think you could see a little bit of the, you know, uh, Lane Stadium being up for this one, people being excited about this one. They know how to do the weeknight games. I, I, it could be, it could be a fun environment. I don't know as a football game if it's going to be amazing, but it, it could be, it could be entertaining. If if we're just, you know, if we're stuck with two weeknight games that are really worth watching, I think we've got a pretty good, a pretty good pair here. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree as well. I'm pretty happy with it. I mean, I'm certainly not going to watch the NFL games. I never will. No. Um, no. <laughs> so I'll take those two. It's a good, a good kind of, I mean, Georgia State, Georgia Southern is definitely the premier game, right? But, but check out Syracuse, Rio Tech during commercials. Um, the Friday night game is not worth talking about at all. I do not care about FAU or Charlotte. Nope. Um, nope. If FAU <laughs> was playing against a better opponent, maybe, but Charlotte is really bad. Uh, Saturday, October 28th, noon slate. Not good. Not a good noon slate. We do have one Guantanamo Bay game, which is a, it's a very shaky one, but it is there. Oklahoma at Kansas on Fox. It's shaky because I believe Jason Bean is going to be starting this game. Jalen Daniels still trying to come back from his injury. I mean, it's it's frustrating. We've talked about it on the show before. It's just frustrating because um, I think Oklahoma is gettable. I don't know that Oklahoma is gettable for Kansas with Jason Bean. It could be. Jason Bean is is he's prone to very good and very bad. If they get him very good in this game, I think that that offense can cause some problems for Oklahoma. Oklahoma almost lost to UCF last week, and and that was, you know, that's a worse team. I think it was at home. Um, Kansas has the ability to to make a serious game of this it's just it's going to come down to the the bean factor it's the bean factor we all know and love 
Yeah, it depends how much they can flick that bean during this oh, one. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously he's bad, right? We kind of got, or at least he's bad this season, um, he which is, is unfortunate. He is simultaneously he well good and week. bad. Yeah, he, he's, yeah. He, he can be either at any given moment, pretty much. It, you don't know. He's wildly inconsistent in both directions. Do we think there's... Um, do we think there's any chance that uh, Lance is just lying? I mean, he did say that <laughs> Daniels has been participating in practices more. Yeah, uh, he's still doubt. I think he said doubtful or questionable was the the word I got in the game was what he, I think as you said. Hmm. But he also indicated he has been practicing and participating more in practice. Yeah, um, that could be. I mean, that would be great. It would be a good time to do that. Um, I mean, if you're bringing him back, like, if it's not for this game, and if he can go at all, yeah, like that's the game to bring him back for, right? Like yeah. that, this is what like. Yeah, what After you... this and your schedule, it's it's Iowa State, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Cincinnati. I mean, I don't think they're going to hold him all the way until Kansas State. They don't need him to beat those other three teams, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're bringing it back, let's fucking ride. Yeah, let's do it now. You don't really need if, – if he's good enough to go in this game, you would obviously – you'd use him. Um, and if you're going to do the cloak and dagger shit, this would certainly be a good time for it. Um, if he doesn't play, I, just, it's, it's, I have a hard time seeing Kansas – basically just not turn the ball over. Jason Bean turned the ball over way too much. Um, I don't think they could really afford to do that here because this Kansas defense might be able to get a stop or a turnover, uh, you know, maybe one or two. It's not going to stack them. This is not a good defense. Uh, they, they can... They can occasionally generate some pressure up front. They can occasionally force some turnovers. There are a couple guys on this defense who I like, but it has not been a good defense this season, and, and Oklahoma's offense... While not, um, I, I don't think dominant would be the right word. Oklahoma's offense is capable and, and can take advantage of a bad defense, which is what it's going to see here. Kansas's offense has to be uh, efficient, and it has to spend a lot of time on the field, and it can't have those those quick change chances where it's just giving away free points. It's not how you win this kind of game, and Jason Bean just hasn't been just hasn't been good at that. That was what that, that was the problem against Texas. Um, it has been a problem for him. When he's on, they can run their offense. When he's not on, it becomes really hard for them to do much of anything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the size of it, right? And, and like, I don't know, Oklahoma's also played shitty enough in several weeks here that, like, there is yeah. a chance. I mean, there's just a chance Kansas can win by Oklahoma fucking up, right? Like, yeah. that's not – they've just constantly played close games against bad teams. I don't think there's a – like, like I don't even know if Kansas needs to have its best game to win this based on what we've seen – Oklahoma play. They almost lost the UCF, who were yeah. bad this year. Yeah. Um, it's it's entirely possible Oklahoma can give this one away. Um, I don't know. I don't know how how I feel about this. I think Oklahoma probably wins, but uh, I would feel a lot better if Jalen Daniels would play. That's yeah. kind of my analysis. Yep. No fly list. We got four games. I don't really know that I have a whole lot of interest in any of these. Florida State at Wake Forest on ABC. Houston at Kansas State on ESPN two. South Carolina at Texas A&M on ESPN and West Virginia at UCF on FS1. Any of these catching your eye? Um, They're, it's pretty bad. I guess <laughs> Houston at Kansas State, maybe. Just yeah, like, I, I, I mean, guess. Houston's been competitive in, in almost all of its games. Yeah. Um, they like to play a take game and lose. It's their favorite thing to do. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's kind of interesting. Uh, the other ones... Truly, no. It's a pretty bad slate. Like, we're just on sleepwalk watch for Florida State. Like, if Florida State just shows up and barely plays, there's a hangover after Duke. Yeah. Um, which is, I guess, funny, kind of funny to say out loud. The old Duke hangover. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that was a physical game. Yeah. I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. Um, A&M, South Carolina, negative interest. <laughs> w, UCF, no thanks. Yeah. Um, no, it's a pretty bad noon slate. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty bad noon slate. Afternoon, the Abu Ghraib game of the week would be Oregon at Utah, 3.30 on Fox. Um, the Pac-12 just keeps delivering these these awesome games, these big, big games. This is an elimination game for probably both conference and playoff contention on both sides. I know that we are not all that keen on the idea of Utah as a playoff team, but it is six and one. It's a power five team with only one loss. Um, and in theory, if it didn't lose again, it would be probably in or right around the playoff. Um, Oregon much stronger in that on, you know, on that front, we think Oregon's one of the best teams in the country, but this is a big game. This is a really, really, really big game for both of these teams. And or, or, or Utah is always, just a really hard place to play it's a hard team to play against a hard place to play their offense is limited for the reasons that we've talked about all season they worked around it enough to win against usc usc's defense and oregon's defense are not particularly comparable i don't think and and honestly i don't think that oregon's offense is really even all that comparable to usc's oregon's is much better at everything um i Uh, it hits fewer explosives right like i guess I mean, it it scores a lot more though. It, it's still it's 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 it, it it's more efficient than it is explosive. But they are a lot better at putting points on the board than USC is against quality opponents. Um, I, I Oregon, if we're just talking about this as a as a pure football game, as a pure comparison of two teams, Oregon should win, right? Oregon is better. Oregon's defense is good enough to to hold Utah's offense, which is you know. I think improving with the Sioni Vaki at running back, he's he's been excellent for them. Um, but it is still not good. This offense is not good. It's certainly not the strength of the team. And, and Utah's defense, I worry, is just going to be asked to do a little bit too much against a really good offense. And I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time, even with how much I love that defense, I, I have a hard time seeing them win the game on their own, even with the home field advantage as well. This is just a... It's a tough team to beat. This this Oregon team has been has been really good this year, and I don't know that Utah has the the one or two pieces that it would really need offensively to get that done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's totally fair. Um, it would just, I, I guess, depend on. I, I don't know if we've gotten reports on, on like the health of Oregon's running backs over the last couple of days. I have not been checking on that yet. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at that right now. If Bucky Irvington, Bucky Irvington, and Noah Winnington are playing. Yeah. Oh yeah, Irvington is fully. Um, I think he's fully back. Um, let's see here. Um, I know the the word after the game from landing on Irving was that he was fine. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he just said I think those guys be good to go this weekend. Referring to. Uh, both Irvine and their quarterback, Kyrie Jackson, was very good. Yeah. So they're going to have both of those guys back. I mean, I think that's pretty much all you had to hear, right? Like like this this team is just too efficient with him in the running game. Like if they were to be down both their top two backs, I think, sure, you could say Utah turns you one-dimensional. You get a turnover or two, it's a ball game. I just don't think Utah's offense can keep up with Oregon. I think Oregon's going to hold the football, be very efficient. Um, and I think just prevent Utah from advancing the ball much. It's going to have to take a very weird game state yeah. for Utah to win. And like Utah at home, especially, is capable of creating weird game state. It's not impossible at all to imagine that ha- happening. They've done it before, um, but it would it would require, I think, you know, at least probably two turnovers for this defense, which it can do. But 
Oregon doesn't turn the ball over a lot. There's, like you said, the offense is one of the most efficient in the country. Um, if not the most efficient on success rate, they are the most efficient team in the country. Bo Nix doesn't, he's just not had those same, you know, kind of panic turnovers that he had in years past. And, and he mostly cut those out last year and he's just kept it going this year. You, it, it would take a lot. Utah has guys who can do that, but I, I think Utah really needs a lot of great individual plays probably would need something to happen on special teams. I, I think this could be a, you know, it, Utah puts itself in position by by getting really good field position, by getting a really good return or two, maybe getting a blocked punt or a blocked kick, something like that. It, it's going to require something abnormal changing the game, I think, for Utah to have a serious chance. If it's close in the fourth quarter, Kyle Whittingham is really good in those moments, and, and Dan Lanning is aggressive as we have seen usually to his benefit but sometimes to a to a fault and I think that Utah could take advantage of that but getting there getting to the fourth quarter and then going and winning it with an offense that is still I mean Bryson Barnes just had a a really really good game on his you know for his standards against USC but that defense like I said is not this one and also how much can you realistically ask him to do uh, how much can you ask, you know, Sione Vake to do and Jaquinton Jackson to do? It's it's a lot. It, 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 you would need, you would need a lot of individual players having really really great games. Jonah Ellis on the other side of the ball, um, and that is not usually a good thing to pick. I, I think Oregon obviously is is you know, the favorite to win here for good reason. I think Oregon will win, but the game state for Utah is not impossible. It's just it's going to be really hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Utah is, look, it's a very good football team. It's a very physical football team. It's a very well-coached football team. Um, <clears throat> I think that this is a team that obviously is capable of staying in just about any game it plays, right? They have that kind of capacity. They are yeah. they're, they're a surviving football team. Like, yeah. I 100% understand that. That's uh, the design. It's just, yeah. but, if, but if I'm looking at the actual matchups this game, of the way Oregon plays football, what they do well, it is hard for me to see a Utah win. I don't think they're going to get blown out. I don't think they play that way, but it's hard for me to see them actually coming up with the scores they need to win this game. And if they do, it kind of, I mean, obviously it very fundamentally changes the way I view the Pac-12 title race. Yeah. Uh, and even the playoff race. Yeah. Um, it's it's a massive game, and I'm hoping for, for a competitive tight one, and I think we'll get that. I just don't think Utah is going to have the offense to pull it out in the second half. Yeah, you're always open for a tight one. You can't get enough of a tight one. Oh, um, come on. <laughs> uh, most wanted, we got four. You know I like them, Lucy Goose. <laughs> most wanted, we got four games on the board here. First up is BYU at Texas, 3.30 on ABC. Um, under, I think, traditional circumstances, I would not be especially interested in this one, but Texas is without Quinn Ewers. It's going to be Malik Murphy back there at quarterback, um, that is interesting. That's interesting. I think he is, I mean, he's certainly been around. He <laughs> certainly has played a lot of football for Texas. He's, he's been, you know, not a lot, but he's been around. He's, he should be capable. In theory, he's capable. He didn't do great against Houston, I would say, but that is what really makes this interesting to me is that Texas's rushing attack is still not really impressing me. It has moments. Um, and so I, I think that the offense does kind of depend on a passing attack that could look different. And that is, that's interesting. BYU, nothing that BYU does is a factor in me thinking that this game could be close. BYU's not good, but Texas with a backup quarterback is intriguing to me. I'm curious to see just what that looks like. 
Yeah, me as well, obviously. And I mean, like, the, there's just a lot of variance in, in how that can go. Uh, I mean, like, like you said, I know we've seen Murphy around, but we've never really seen him in a in a a moment where he's tested and like also is BYU capable of testing him yeah I don't know like I don't know how much either of us believe that I know this team is five and two but like I don't particularly get the sense they're good do you no no I mean they're not really <laughs> they're not really they, they can't... they're not really good at anything is the is the thing it's no, not just like oh they're wins. yeah it's not just like <laughs> oh they're they're you know they're they have a really good x and, and that has led the way like the one kind of good thing that they have is their run defense which is not yeah. really that big of a factor in this kind of game they've been pretty openly bad at just about everything else like Keaton Slovis, I, mean, I guess, has yeah. not turned the ball over a ton, but he's not really doing a whole lot else with it. They don't run the ball they're, well. They're 103rd in net success rate. Yeah, yeah, they just, they've just, <laughs> they're just kind of here, right? Like you, look they're kind the, of like the Pittsburgh Steelers of college football in the sense that no one understands how they're winning games. It just yeah. seems to happen. Yeah, um, it just seems to happen. Yeah, and you look at the games that they've won, like they beat Sam Houston State, they beat Southern Utah, they had the weird win over Arkansas. They beat Cincinnati. They beat um, they beat Texas Tech this past week. The Texas Tech game was really, I think, honestly, the first time that BYU has looked uh, good. Uh, even I, I even hesitate to say good, better than <laughs> than a comparable yeah. opponent. Above um, average, yeah, yeah, above yeah. average. And like I, I the, the you know, there's a pretty big difference between a home win over a Texas Tech team without its starting quarterback and a road win over a Texas team without its starting quarterback, but. The, the the curiosity here does exist on the Texas side. I just, I don't know that BYU is, is the opponent that can really take advantage of that because these guys aren't very good. They're just not a very good team. I know what the record says. They're not a very good team. Yeah, no, agreed. I, I think Texas wins pretty comfortably, even without yours. Yeah. I mean, you could get a situation where you have a disastrous backup quarterback who just turns the ball over three times and that changes the game. And but we, and we would love like real... that. I mean, God, would I love that. That would be really good. Yeah, I, but I it's not like real analysis for us to get. Like, we don't no. have a reason to believe that. No. Right? Like, I, I don't... Um, I'm going to pull up Malik Murphy's group stats. Also, Quinn Ewers... Or, sorry, not Quinn Ewers. Um, what's his name? Arch Manning's not playing. No. Let's just get it. <laughs> <laughs> no. That boy is not playing. <laughs> no, his ass is on the bench. He is not going into the game. It's really funny that they were doing like the, oh, is there a quarterback controversy at Texas with Arch Manning? Like, no, because no, he's, yeah. he's not good. That's the problem with Arch Manning is that he's yeah. not good. He exists only in theory. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if I'm, if I'm Texas also, I am hammering Murphy in the run game. Yeah. Like, that kid is 6'5", 240. Yeah. I, I want to see him knock some guys on their ass and just like set the tone early on BYU. Um, they'll fold. They don't have the horses. Like, you know, Kalani Sataki was admitting in interviews like a couple weeks ago that he doesn't think they have the athletes to play in the Big 12 right now. Like yeah. that guy's saying that publicly. His team probably believes it. If you just go out there and bully them in the first quarter, they're going to quit. Yeah. Yep, I think that that is fair. I'm I'm interested to see what Texas looks like, but that's about it. Duke at Louisville, 3.30 on ESPN. Riley Leonard status for this game is questionable. Um, uncertain has been the wording. I, I don't think there's been an update beyond that. Um, not sure 
what the deal is with that. I think that that will obviously make a pretty big difference, as it does for every Duke game. This is pretty much just the conversation when we are talking about a Duke game is, is Riley Leonard playing? If yes, then they could win the game, and I think they they might if he's if he's out there. If not, then probably Louisville. I don't think I think Louisville is another one of those teams that has a good record and is not actually good. I don't think Louisville is actually six and one good. They're just kind of there. But if Duke is is rolling on a backup quarterback, it's it's still it's kind of hard to see this happening, even with how much we like Duke and, and this Duke defense and the rushing attack has had its its moments. I just don't know. I don't know that they can win a game against a quality opponent without without Riley Leonard. He's such a big part of what they do. Yeah. Yeah, um, even just from a confidence standpoint, right? But I, I don't know, man. Like, Duke is a very well-coached team. I, I, like, Duke's offensive line has gotten better week over week. Um, they're very physical on defense. Like, like what does Louisville do that well, I, I, I guess? I know it's going to be tough because, like, the problem is Henry Ballon's bad. Yeah. But... Uh, I think Louisville is a good run, de- a solid run defense. Yeah, uh, they seem to be very good. They have a bizarre split here where they're first in EPA per play against the run, but 56 in success rate, <laughs> which I don't. <laughs> um, which I think just means they limit big runs, but not yeah. necessarily like like consistent chunks. It could also. I think Duke, it, it could also mean and and I. Because fumbles. It, it, yeah. That it, it could also mean that they're just not seeing a ton of runs, um, which is all you know a possibility as well. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm curious to watch that play out. I, I'm going to check here. It seems like Louisville is. Hmm, they're uh, 20th in yards per carry allowed. Yeah, uh, I'll just fucking pull up the and... run rates. I have the run rate rankings just give me a second I'll just, yeah. I'll just do well, it let's just do it yeah i'll just, just i'll just do it, it yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. fine um <laughs> they're allowing an average of one touchdown on the ground per game which i mean i don't, I don't know it's I don't a really fun stat from. um yeah okay well this is actually the opposite of what i was expecting they're they're uh 25th rushing rate uh faced defensively 112th for pass rate so teams are well that's actually kind of what i was saying teams are passing um a little bit more than they're running on this defense i don't the que- the question for Louisville of what are they good at is fair. I don't really know what they're good at. The offense has been relatively efficient, all things considered. They have been... I think the thing that they've been best at and the thing that has made them hard to beat is they're hard to get off the field offensively. Like, they've been really good on third down. Um, is that sustainable? Uh, I don't know. That's one of those stats that I don't really trust if you're like really good or really bad at it because it's such a... It's such a high variable thing where like, yeah, you, you could be really good at third down in every game except for one where you aren't because it's kind of a, it's a one play deal. It's not really a, an accumulating, you know, every third down is different. Um, I don't know that it's a necessarily a super trainable skill. You just kind of got lucky. Um, and they're just not like, I don't know, they're, they're, they've been really good on third down on both sides of the ball. And that's kind of the thing that they are good at at this point. Outside of that, I don't know. I think the lines are fine. The defensive line is decent for them. I think Duke could, if it gets the right game state right, if it's if it's running the ball well, if Louisville's offense is not converting those third downs, it's not moving the chains, if there's a turnover or two, Duke could still win this game without Riley Leonard. It would obviously be a lot easier with him, but... It, it it would require a really, really good game from Duke, whereas if you have him, you just have to be, I think, fine. I think if Duke has Riley Leonard, it wins the game. If it doesn't have him, it becomes a lot, you know, a lot harder, which is not 
analysis in any form. He's a good player and the backup isn't. Um, you know, <laughs> Henry Bellin might be at some point, but he's not right now. Um, and uh, it's not like a it's not a situation where they can't win without the starter, but it's it's made it, it, the margins get so much smaller, and you're really just kind of banking on Louisville's luck running out, which could happen, but also it could not happen. They've they've won six games, and they they have it's taken them this far. Yeah, yeah, I um, I mean, I get that completely, and and I think Louisville is a lot better than we expect them to be. But I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I guess I just think. <sighs> I think Duke is the culmination of something. I mean, only two years into the Elko project, but like the amount of veterans on this team that like what they've kind of done and the way they've, they've really quickly recruited and, and adapted to a scheme and a system. Whereas Louisville's the start of something with Brom. And I just wonder if Louisville is actually going to have the horses to play with the Duke team, even without Leonard for four quarters. And I, I think, I don't know, man, I just have more faith in the Duke coaching staff. Yeah. I understand that Louisville had a huge win against, against, game they did also but other I mean, recent... yeah the last time we saw them they yeah. lost by 17 points to pit like that's well, not 17 points to pit before that they they only won by three against a pretty bad nc state team yeah uh they sh- struggled deeply in the second half with indiana and indiana this is a kind of funny to say but it's just a very shitty version of what duke's trying to do like structurally um that defense I, I, is kind of built in the same I, image. I think Pitt kind of is too. I, I think Pitt is kind of also just yeah. a, a really shitty version of Duke this year. Um, that, that, yeah, that, that, that's fair. I'm kind of talking myself into it as we, as we work through this more that Duke could still win the game, even with a bad quarterback because Pitt won the game with a bad quarterback. Um, not as bad as it could have been. It was not Phil Dracovic out there, but um, yeah, I, it's, this is, this is possible. Louisville is not very good. That's the, that's the issue here with Louisville is that like, yeah, in theory they're six and one, but also, is there anybody on this team that you really outside of like Jamari Thrash and maybe Jawar Jordan that you really like? I, I don't, you know, there's some guys on the defense. I think Jack Plummer actively sucks at quarterback. Um, yeah. I just don't really like the team. Honestly, I just don't really like Louisville. I don't really, I've not even in their six and one start. I've not really seen anything from them other than they beat Notre Dame when Notre Dame was running ragged. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, man, yeah, I uh, I guess I agree with that. And also the Notre Dame thing, I do think Freeman absolutely freaked out with that coaching decision, that uh, that going forward on fourth down on his own 35-yard line with like nine minutes left. Yeah, Like I, I do think the score reflected an insane coaching choice from a guy who was pretty bad in late-game decisions um, more than it did. Like I don't think Louisville was 13 points better than Notre Dame that day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I, I, I don't know that Louisville is. Yeah. I don't know that Louisville was thirteen better, thirteen points better than Notre Dame on any day other than that one, and they still weren't on that day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just don't really believe that I have much faith in Louisville. I guess maybe I'm going to be wrong about this, and they're going to win. But like, I don't think like Duke to me, even when they lost Leonard and they only lost by eighteen points to Florida State, that is a good football team. Like. Yeah. Yeah, and I understand the Clemson win is relatively fluky based on the fumbles and stuff like that, uh, or at least the final margin was. But I, I, I just look at Duke and I trust that roster. I trust that coaching staff. I trust the line. Top to bottom. I, I think the one of the bigger yeah, things is both I really, lines. I really trust those lines. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I think they could. I think they could pull it off. I've you've talked me into it. Um, curious to see. Could be one of the better games of the afternoon slate in terms of just you know being close, being competitive into the fourth quarter. I think Duke can get it done. Uh, next up here, Florida versus Georgia, of course, in Jacksonville, 3.30 on CBS. Ryan, you love both of these programs. You cannot get enough of either of these guys. 
Um, where are you? Where are you at with this, Georgia? Of course, without without Brock Bowers, I'm of the opinion of who cares doesn't matter in this game. Florida's not good enough. It could matter at some point down the stretch. I just don't think it will here because I don't think Florida's very good. Yeah, yeah, I think Florida sucks. I think that's the whole story. I don't think Florida has any juice at all. I think it's gonna be. Uh, I think it's gonna be a huge blowout even without him. Um, uh, without Brock, Brock Bowers, I should say. Um, I just. I got to be honest. I can't imagine I will watch this game past the first quarter, um, even if then with how many other games are on. I, I just don't have really any interest in anything Florida does in the football field. Yeah. Uh, I like Ricky Pearsall, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like Florida's numbers, to be fair, are better than I ever expect them to be. Uh, I didn't think they'd be this competent, but it's still like they're facing an actually good football team that does, like, I don't know. It, it, I, what is, what is Florida going to do? Like, they're going to stop the run, maybe. Okay, that's fine, I guess. Like, they could probably stop the run for a couple quarters, but they don't really have the athletes that Florida has. They don't have the lines that Florida has. They don't have the physicality. They don't have the coaching. I don't think Florida can match up with, with Georgia for four quarters. Yeah. Yep, I think that's fair. I think that this is another one where the trench play is just so – the margin is so wide between these two. Like, Florida just has a bunch of fat losers on the defensive line, and Georgia does not. Um, that is – I mean, that's pretty much it. I this, this feels like one that maybe people will talk themselves into as an intriguing matchup because of the Bowers injury, because of Florida's record, um, because of the rivalry factor, and then Georgia just, you know, shows up and, and beats the shit out of them. It, it, it very much has that, that – that, tint to it for me I, I think this is probably a blowout yeah yeah um i agree i think it's going to be over by, by halftime yep last one here and, and if it's not i love to see georgia lose so that, that's always fun too. that would I be mean, that would be great yeah that would be i actually think i'd be more interested in seeing florida get the shippy out of them than i would see in uh, georgia get upset yeah last one here in the most wanted category um sort of a bummer here with with this one because i think it it could have been under different circumstances a really awesome game miami of ohio at ohio 3:30 p.m. on cbssn this is basically for the mac east the winner will have the the inside track um the reason that this is a bummer is that brett gabbert's season is over he suffered an injury um in their loss to toledo he's done he's out for the year um, that sucks. That, that, that sucks. He's not really been able to stay on the field. He's had too many injuries. He's had, he had a shoulder injury last year that sidelined him for most of the year. He's out again. Um, Miami had been really fun and really good with him back there. And Avion Smith is just not that, not that level of quarterback. He's not that level of guy. I think that they really needed Brett Gabbert. Their defense is fine. The defense is pretty good and could keep them in some games, including this one. Ohio's offense has been, shakier than I was hoping it would be with with Curtis Rourke and you know all of the other guys who were back on that unit they they still have Sam Wigloose they still have you know both of their running backs and O'Shawn Allison who is somehow still both both playing college football and now playing pretty well um you know Sia Bingura has obviously been here and has been good for them I don't know that Miami has the juice to do it without Gabbert though it's just it it, it sucks it, it it sucks to see that happen with uh just just to him and, and to this team I think that they were really intriguing and then it all just kind of with that injury kind of falls apart they're they're still capable but i don't think that they're capable of winning this game on the road without him yeah yeah i mean i think you have it nailed here i don't know that i have that much to add beyond that um 
Yeah, that seems fair to me, right? I think Ohio is, is just one of the more complete teams in this league, relatively speaking. Yeah. Um, and Miami without Galbert, I just don't think has the juice. Um, I think we are, I don't know. I am, uh, I guess I am curious kind of see how the rest of this, uh, this Mac race plays out as we go forward here. Um, I think Ohio winning this one puts them in a pretty strong position, although Buffalo is still weirdly in a good spot in the conference. Yeah. Um, or in the in the East Division rather, but I, I think Ohio becomes a pretty heavy favorite in the East once they win this game. Yep. That would be uh that would be my assumption. Next up here in the no fly list, we have a whole bunch of games. Uh South Dakota State at South Dakota, FCS game, two PM on ESPN plus. Clemson at NC State, two PM on the CW. Iowa State at Baylor, 3.30 on ESPN+. Montana State at Idaho, uh, 4 p.m. on ESPN+. Tulane at Rice, 4 p.m. on ESPN2. And USC at Cal, 4 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. Ryan, where do you want to go first with this? Yeah, uh, hmm, I don't know. I guess Clemson and NC State, uh, just because of... uh, Here's the thing. (laughs) I don't care how bad Clemson is. Uh It's always going to be funny to watch them lose for, for me for at least a good little while here. Um, I don't know if that will happen on Saturday. I, I don't necessarily have a good, I don't have a good feeling about NC State and Clemson's favored by ten points. Yeah. But based on what you've seen from this team and the way like Dabo's losing his mind every week, um, <laughs> like I don't think it's a big leap. I think this team is falling apart mentally. Right. He was blaming his quarterback. Yeah. For going rogue on 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 fourth down, which is really um, really funny on both sides of that. One to admit that publicly to to throw your quarterback under the bus like that, and two that it happened at all that on a on a crucial play that basically ended the game, your quarterback just didn't do what he was told. They just didn't run the play. just ran a different play entirely. Um, that's awesome. That's a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's great. We love to see that. Um, I don't know what they do well. Like, what does Clemson do as a football team? Mm, not much. Not much has been the recent uh, the recent returns. I think the issue here is the NC State side of things, which is that NC State also doesn't do anything. NC State is not good. And... I don't know. Maybe you get a um, you know the 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 MJ Morris coming out party game, and he's he's good here. But uh, even with Clemson not being very good, I, I have I have a hard time seeing NC State win this because NC State is seemingly at this point fundamentally as a program incapable of winning this kind of game. Even even in a year where Clemson is obviously down and, and weak, I just don't think NC State has the juice to do it. I don't believe in Dave Doran's ability to do that. No, nor do I, I guess. I mean it this is but this is the movable object versus the stoppable force. Yeah. Right? Like it's <laughs> Yeah. It just might be fun to watch some shitty football, especially because it's a PM kick. Uh if the noon games suck as bad as we think they might. Yeah. Uh you could put this one on early and uh, I, I think the finish will probably happen around halftime of a lot of these other good games from the afternoon slate. So yeah. it could just be an easy one to get on TV because of the timing too. So yeah. I think I'll watch some of that. Um, I'll, I'll say also for that, for those purposes at 2 p.m., the South Dakota State at South Dakota game, if you have ESPN Plus, is probably a, not even probably, is a much better and more competitive football like interesting football game i think south dakota state's the number one team in the fcs rankings they're unbeaten uh south dakota has been awesome this year they're six and one they're ninth in the rankings really just a a really cool fun rivalry huge game for both teams big stakes south dakota state is is pretty hard to pick against they're they're excellent they've been great all season they've been great for a long time but could be a really fun one um obviously at south dakota makes it a little bit trickier because it's going to be a great environment 
you know, everybody there <laughs> cheering pretty hard for an upset. I, this one, I think, as a pure football game, if you don't care about the, the Clemson, you know, laughing at their downfall and, and, and all that, this is a much better option of a football game at 2 p.m., but they're both on in that in that slot if you need it. Um, what else in here is uh, is grabbing you? I have one that, that stands out to me specifically for entirely off-field reasons, but where are you? where are you at? Is it, uh, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to go with Tulane at Rice? No, uh, that, I mean, that one's kind of fun. I think it's kind of a fun football game. Rice has done some interesting things offensively this season. Um, I think Rice is decent. I, I would imagine Tulane still wins, but it could be a fun styles clash. Um, no, the one that is that is most interesting to me, not for the football reasons, but for the fact, you know, of stuff that's happening off the field this week is USC at Cal, 4 p.m. on Pac-12 Network. Because, Ryan, it okay. seems like Lincoln Riley has just quit. It seems like Lincoln Riley has just quit his job. He's let, he's abandoned his post. Um, he wasn't at practice on Monday or Tuesday. They're saying that it's an illness and that it's, it's doctor's orders. I don't trust that man even a little bit. I would like to see the doctor's note. Like that's that's where I'm at with Lincoln Riley. I think that I think he's just left. I think he's just gone. I, I, I think that Lincoln Riley is not coming back. He's out. He's he's somewhere else. He's an analyst on an NFL staff already. They were petitioning to get Cliff Kingsbury uh, on it in, in an on-field coaching position to fill that tenth spot uh, with with Riley not around. Um, he's the same exact coach. And so that would be kind of a nice, you can just plug him right in. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested in that in, in what USC after two really tough losses looks like how they respond on the road against a Cal team. That's not good, but is chippy and, and certainly will be, will be, yeah, I'm going to guess not well. Yeah, yeah. I would guess probably not well. <laughs> if your coach is quitting, I would assume that your players are probably also considering quitting, especially when your players are the ones that USC has. Um, just interested. I'm interested in this. I'm curious to see just how bad this could go for USC, how how far things could fall. My interest in this, I think, is the same as yours in the Clemson game, where like I don't believe in the opponent, but also USC sucks and is in a really, really shitty place as a football team right now. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is like really where USC has fallen apart and someone posted numbers this effect on Twitter. I don't have it pulled up. But my recollection is that uh, Caleb Williams is 104th in the country in QBR when he's pressured. Yeah. Um, which is obviously very bad, but also Cal cannot create pressure. Yeah. They are 129th in the country in sack percentage. Um, so Damn. I think conceptually, I think USC mentally is out of this season which could just change the nature of this team. But like from an actual football analysis perspective, what we see in the field for these two teams, I don't think Cal matches up well yeah. to exploit what USC is weak at. But they, also like... They can run on USC's them. defense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? They can just break USC physically for a few quarters and see how they respond. Yeah. God, that would be that would be really good. I would love to see that. I, I, I think Cal probably understands the the possibility here and understands that like, if you're going to show up physically for a football game this season, this would be a really, really good time to do it. Um, just keeping my eye on that one. I don't think anything else in this, this uh, no fly list slate really moves me. Montana state, Idaho, or uh, just Idaho, regular Idaho, not Idaho state. Also interesting for, for FCS standards. They're both, I think top 10 teams as well. Um, just a good football game. If you're interested, 4 p.m. on ESPN plus Iowa State at Baylor. I'm I'm good. I will pass on that. Um, yep. No thanks. Evening Guantanamo Bay game is a, kind of a reflection of the evening not being especially compelling. It's a, it's Ohio State at Wisconsin, 7:30 p.m. on NBC. 
as a football game, I have a hard time buying this one. I have a hard time being terribly interested in this one. Ohio State is better than Wisconsin, and I think can probably just pretty much just shut the game down with the defense, right? Like, I, I, I think Ohio State just isn't really going to let Wisconsin move the ball. Wisconsin has not been terribly good at moving the ball. Wisconsin can run, and that could be interesting if it was willing to do that, but we have... I think we've seen to this point that they are just not willing to do that. Phil Longo is not willing to press that button, and so I don't need to... I'm not going to talk myself into him doing that. And I, and also, for what it's worth, the rushing success they've had is purely Braylon Allen making plays by himself. Yeah, I think he had 153 yards last week, and 114 were after contact. Like, <laughs> the line's not creating space for him because Phil Longo's system is ridiculous and very yeah. easy to read. Yeah. Um, and, like, Ohio State... I don't think has like the best defense in the country, but does have a very good defense and has like, they tackle well for the most part, right? Yeah. Like they, they, this is a fundamentally sound defense that like, I don't think that what has worked for them in the rush attack is going to be able to punish Ohio state. And like you said, I don't trust Longo to lean into it, even if it does. Yeah. Yeah. They have Jesus Christ. They're 80th in run play rate offensively 80th at Wisconsin with Braylon Allen 80th. What are you doing, man? I, I, I just, I'm not going to do the whole spiel again. 10th in rushing play success rate and 80th in actually doing it. Why? What's wrong with you? Um, yeah, if like if they do it, if they just totally change what they have done this year and, and play like a Wisconsin offense, I think that they could cause some problems. I'm a little bit higher on the line. The, the advanced stats are a little bit higher on the line. They're 13th in line yards, 6th in success, or stuff rate allowed, which is really good. Um they don't surrender a ton of, of havoc against defensive fronts in general. They're, they've been pretty good at keeping Allen upright, at least through the backfield. Um, but it, it would require that kind of change, I think, for them to, to make a serious play at this. Obviously, they have the home field advantage, which is uh, greater at, at, at Camp Randall than it is in most places. And, and I would guess we'll be you know jumping for this one. Um, but it would require that, and I don't have faith in Wisconsin or Phil Longo, really, his ability to make that change, in, especially in one week. Um, they just need, they if, if they ran their usual offensive playbook from, you know, the last 40 fucking years, they would have a better chance here, but if it's Phil Longo's offense, I just have a hard time seeing that fool anybody, uh, you know, least of all Jim Knowles. I think Jim Knowles would probably have that one keyed in because there's just not, there's not a lot of creativity. There's not a lot of versatility. There's really nothing to like about the way that his offense is designed. And I think the game probably starts and stops there. Even if Wisconsin's or Wisconsin's defense rather is able to have some success, which I think is a, a very good possibility. I still like the defense. It's not been as good as I was hoping for, but Ohio state's offense is not, amazing i would guess it's low scoring i would guess honestly it's probably pretty pretty unentertaining <laughs> to watch it's, it's just wisconsin can make a game of it if it isn't if it doesn't play like it has all season and if it does play like it has all season off offensively i have a hard time seeing that happen yeah i mean the line has us one at 14 and a half yeah uh, with an over under of 45 and a half oh. i don't really understand that um i don't know like if it goes that way something like 30 to 10 makes sense for me, like yeah. an Ohio State win. I don't know. I don't see this one being, I'm not really like, like nothing, like you said, nothing on the field. I, I keep saying this today. Nothing on the field makes me think Wisconsin's capable of beating Ohio State. Um, it would just be like Ohio State sleepwalks after a big game against Penn State. Yeah. And like his coach apparently being focused on assassinating Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> and 
You and him are fighting together in the trenches. Unbelievable. And they never they said they, they said it couldn't be done. Yeah. Yeah. Um who knows, man? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I uh we'll see. I might be revising. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say this yet. Mm-hmm. I want some more details to come out come yeah. out, but there that was very Pittsburgh. Um but there is a chance I need to revise some of these takes. And I think I deserve an amnesty period if that happens. Yeah. I think learning uh, <laughs> learning the other guy had all of your signals and maybe there's rumors about some other stuff beyond that. Yeah. Uh, I think that deserves an amnesty period to recant some takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't really can't really account for that when you're building a take. Kind of kind of div- new information has has arrived. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see. This is the Guantanamo Bay game because it is like the big it's the big night game of the slate. Um, but I think as an actual football game, it would require some pretty big changes for Wisconsin for it to be close. Um, save for Ohio State sleepwalking, which I think is also not impossible. That that could happen. Um, most wanted, we got three games in here. Wyoming at Boise State, 5.30 p.m. on FS2. Troy at Texas State, 7 p.m. on ESPN+. And Tennessee at Kentucky, 7 p.m. on ESPN. Basically, two pretty big G5 title race games and then one... Um, game that people will know the names of the teams that are playing in it. And I, I don't know that I would have a whole lot like Tennessee, Kentucky might be fun, but it's also empty calories. Um, where do you want to go first? Um, Hmm. I don't know. I, I guess, uh, I, I, why am I picking all these? I, I guess we'll start with <laughs> Tennessee and Kentucky. Yeah. Um, I think this could be, this is like a season ender for whoever loses, I, yeah. I guess is the way I would describe it. Yeah. Um, not in the sense that, I mean, there's these teams just don't make a bowl game, obviously, right? But like, if either one of these teams loses this badly, uh, and Tennessee's currently favored by four points on the road, which means neutral field about six and a half or seven. Um, I, I, if either team loses this badly, it's going to be a long fucking rest of the year for them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Tennessee has a pretty good run defense. And I don't know that Kentucky can do anything through the air. I'm not quite sure how Kentucky scores points in this game. Yeah. Yeah. That's the over under is 51 and a half. That seems like maybe based on some years past and not based on this year. Cause yeah, wh- I don't know. I don't know how you're seeing that with these two teams. Like, unless it's just, really I don't see it at all. Unless in- you think Kentucky just, or Tennessee runs the score up. Yeah. Which but that is what the line indicates. Yeah. And like, I don't know that Tennessee can do that. You know, I don't know that Kentucky's defense is not as good as it has been before. It's not like the best defense that they've had, but it's still pretty good. And Tennessee's offense played not very well against Alabama. Um, Alabama's defense is better, but this offense is not good. I, th- I, I if, if fucking Florida could beat them, I think Kentucky could beat them. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think they could. I I don't I don't know that I would pick them to, but I think Tennessee is just not really all that impressive. I I don't really I've not really seen anything from Tennessee that I like all that much. They I like the you know the rushing attack when they're willing to do it. Um, the defense has its moments. The line has its moments, but also I don't really trust the top end stuff on this team. I certainly don't trust Joe Milton or really the decision-making from the coaching staff. I don't I don't like Josh Heupel as a guy, and I don't really like him as a coach. Um, I, I think Kentucky at home can can maybe pull out some pull out some tricks and get it done because I just don't I, – I, I worry about the hangover effect with Tennessee, and I worry about Tennessee's 
just quality as a football team. Their fortitude and their quality are both shaky in my eyes. And Kentucky's quality is also shaky, but Kentucky didn't just lose a, a you know, a game to Alabama in a really, you know, shitty, stupid way that it would be feeling bad about <laughs> for several days and weeks afterward. And Tennessee did. Yeah. Uh, I, I think <laughs> I get that. But again, like we keep saying this this week, that's like a mental analysis, not a football one. Yeah. Welcome to college football. It's <laughs> Yeah, I know. I get it. I get it. I know. I know. Maybe I'm just detached this week, but but yeah. I uh I think Tennessee wins and probably wins by a couple scores. That's my takeaway. Okay. Um but I am curious to watch that one. It's probably the second most watchable game of this slate to me. Oof. Um yeah. I don't know. What else do you have? What what are you picking next? Yeah, the two G five ones here that I mentioned, Wyoming at Boise State will go to first. Um, I don't know if this is still the case. And again, we've, we've said this before, not a betting podcast, but we do like to keep an eye on the lines as a reference for where folks are at with this game. Boise state opened as favorites here. Um, I, I don't, I don't understand that straight up. I do not understand how you could get to that. If you watched these two teams play Boise state has been bad. They've been really, really bad this season. They've, they just, they just don't really do anything all that well outside of Ashton Genty. And Ashton Genty's good. He's, he's a very good player. And I think he can make a difference here. Wyoming has, it, it, its defense has been okay. It's it's a Wyoming defense. It's a pretty standard Wyoming defense. Um, and I, I think that they can, even if Genty is going nuts, which is what he does, it's, he's, he's liable to do that. I don't think that Boise State can really do anything else on offense other than that. I think that Wyoming is very, very capable of just shutting down the rest of the offense and making them one-dimensional, which has been the way to beat these guys. Um, Wyoming is totally capable of doing that. If, if fucking, you know, the teams on the schedule who have done it already can do it to them, Wyoming can do it. Uh, Wyoming can get in the, you know, in the head of, of whichever quarterback is back there. They're both shaky and very easily flustered. Um, and I think win the game defensively and then offensively, it's also, you know, the, the Wyoming offense against the Boise state defense is not favorable for Boise state because Boise state's defense is dog shit. They're not good. They're not good at anything. It's, it's not just like, Oh, you know, they're, they're, they're able to limit explosives, but they're, they're, they're giving up too much efficiency or vice versa. They're 103rd in defensive success rate and 111th in defensive, defensive explosiveness. They don't create big plays. They don't really get turnovers. They suck on the line, and also their secondary and linebackers are bad. They don't have anything good on the defense. I think Wyoming really just kind of kind of bullies them off the field. This this feels like a—I I think it's setting up very nicely for Wyoming to just do what it does, especially if you are giving Wyoming the advantage of—they uh, can sell that they're being doubted, that, that, they are, that they're an underdog in this game, which I don't think they actually should be. They're better. Um, but if you give them that, they will take it. They will gladly take it. I, I think that yeah. this is. Um, I think this is a case of of Wyoming taking another team to the deep end here. I don't think Boise State can uh, swim. I, I tend to agree, but this is like a week where a lot of these lines we're talking about. And again, we're not a gambling podcast, but like, it, they don't make any sense to me. Like there have been like three or four games we talked about where I don't understand the numbers at all. Yeah, which does make me worry that I'm missing something fundamental. Yeah, yeah. But we, I, we want- too much ball for that. <laughs> I want like I I I have to wonder if it's just a name brand thing with Boise of like assuming that it will be fixed because it's Boise. If you've watched these guys play, there's no reason to have any faith in them. There's just there's just not. The last time they were on the field, they lost to Colorado State for the first time as a program ever. Um, 
they're they're just not very good. They barely beat San Diego State, and San Diego State just put zero points on the board against Nevada, which was winless. They had to do a comeback against San Jose State. They really have not looked good at a single point this season outside of Ashton Genty, and he's only the one guy. Um, that's I, I. That feels like it. That feels like the whole game because this Boise State defense is not good, and so you're depending on one guy. And if you can if you can limit it to the one guy, they've not. It's not been enough to win them games against worse opponents than this one. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's just. Wyoming's like very well coached, very fundamentally sound. Yeah. I just don't think they're a team that gets beat that way. Yeah. Um, no, it's not. It doesn't make any sense to me. That's not really yeah. the way to do it if you're going to do Especially it. Especially not on the ground. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, not on the ground. Not really a matchup that would be super favorable for, for much of anybody, but certainly not this Boise State team, which is physically and mentally weak. Um, I will, I will stake that claim. These guys are not tough. They are not, they don't hit. They don't take hits well. They certainly don't have talent or, or you know, development in the trenches. Um, this team sucks. This Boise State team's not good, and I think Wyoming makes them pay for it. Um, in the Sun Belt here, Troy at Texas State, 7 p.m. on ESPN+, Plus, as I mentioned. Really fun matchup, really interesting game in the West race. That that race is still pretty open, both of these teams 2-1 and one in the Sun Belt. South Alabama also sticking around in that uh, conversation. They're 2-1 as well. Uh, we're going to talk about them in just a second. Big game, really, really big game for both of these teams. Texas State gets it at home, probably the biggest home game in program history, I would have to think. Um, not a very long history, not a super high bar to clear, but they are playing for the conference right now. They're they're playing to contend in this conference, and if they win this one, they would be right up there with you know South Alabama potentially as favorites in the West. Um, very interesting uh, stylistically uh, matchup. Texas State throws the shit out of the football. They just, it's an air raid offense. It's the G.J. Kenny offense. They have been really, really good at it this season. The issue with that, the concern that I have for that, is that Troy is not going to be surprised at all to see that. Troy has seen that offense before, and Troy generally does not really, is not really all that affected by it. They beat Western Kentucky earlier this season. Uh, they beat Georgia State by three scores. They have been really pretty dominant the last month of the season in general. I worry that Texas State's offense, for as good as it has been this season, is not up for the task that is playing against Troy's defense. This defense is mean. They're physical. They're well-coached. They are always in the right place, and they're really, really hard to move off of those spots. You have to be very, very efficient offensively to beat them, and I don't know that Texas State just has the guys and the bodies to do that. Yeah, that seems like a fair a fair analysis. Like you said, Kenny's done really well there, but but Troy is a different kind of breed of football team, yeah. and I think that just does play um, play a major factor. Like there, there's not a guy, uh, in my opinion, on Troy's roster that looks like Kamani Vidal, right? That can play with a guy like that. Like he's just a on, nasty on, son of a bitch on Texas State's roster. Yeah, Sorry, Texas State's roster. Apologies. Yeah. One no. of those days. Yeah, you're right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know, man. Like. Th- this is a kind of game where I think Troy just has too much institutional buildup, yeah. too much physicality, too much talent, um, too much of an identity this far into their program build that it's gonna it's gonna work out fine for them. Yeah, I feel pretty good about Troy here. I would I would basically chalk this up. I think the easiest way to say it is that this is a rubber meets the road game, and Troy has done that quite a bit more often than Texas State has, and Troy is ready for those moments, and Texas State is making a lot of progress and deserves a lot of credit for that. 
they've not done this before. They've not seen this kind of defense before. And I have a really hard time imagining that they will acclimate the right way to this level of, of just kind of brutality that Troy takes to the football field. They're really, really, really hard to play against. They're not a fun team to play. And I don't know that Texas state for as good as it has been. I don't know that it can, I, I just, I have a hard time seeing it apply to this game. It, it's Troy is a different, is a different beast. And they're, they're at the top of the West and have been for a reason. It's not just, you know, they didn't just get there. Uh, no fly list. We got three games, Louisiana at South Alabama, 5 PM on ESPN plus just referenced that one. South Alabama can continue. It's uh, stay right up there up at the top of the West with a win here. I think it will win. Um, Louisiana is shaky and South Alabama's defense is rounding into form. I would say that defense looked damn good last week. Uh, Air Force at Colorado State, 7 p.m. on CBSSN, and Colorado at USC, 7.30 p.m. on ABC. I'll knock the Mountain West one out real quick. I don't think Air Force is going to have any issues here. I don't think that Air Force is susceptible to the shit that Colorado State wants to do. Air Force is going to hold the ball for 45 minutes, and Colorado State cannot hold up physically. I, I think that this one's pretty cut and dry. It's on. It's interesting. Air Force, every game that they play is going to be interesting because they're unbeaten, but I don't think that Colorado State has the guys to handle this. I, I think it's going to be another one of those rubber-meets-the-road games. I think Air Force rolls. I think South Alabama also rolls. Um, how are you feeling with Colorado at UCLA? Yeah, um, UCLA's uh, run defense is fucking awesome. Yeah, um, and I know Colorado doesn't like to run the football, but like they also can't protect Shadur Sanders. I think if he's going to be in passing down situations all day, yeah, um, it, it's going to be a long, long day for him personally. I think he might get blown up a few times. Yeah, um, I think UCLA is a very solid football team that knows what it wants, knows what it wants to do, and can physically bully Colorado on both sides of the line. And that's going to be the whole story. I don't think Colorado is going to be very competitive this one. It's not going to look like Oregon, the Oregon game, where it's like 42 to 6. Yeah. But I do think it's a pretty comfortable win for UCLA. Colorado just cannot physically hang with these guys. Yep. And UCLA gets whatever they want. Yeah. Yep. I think that's fair. I have a hard time seeing Colorado hold up in the front uh, offensively and keeping Shadur upright, which has been the way to beat them this season. I think UCLA is totally capable. Uh, late night, we got two Guantanamo Bay games. This is a better than usual late night slate. Um, cause there are two watchable games, like two legitimately watchable, interesting games in the PAC 12. It's Oregon state at Arizona, 10 30 on ESPN. And in the mountain West is UNLV at Fresno state, 10 30 PM on FS one. Um, I think we could probably split these off into our two specific specialties. Uh, so Ryan, do you want to open this with the PAC 12 game or do you want me to roll through the mountain West? Yeah, do the Mountain West game. All right, uh, UNLV at Fresno State, as I said, this is a big one in the Mountain West. Both teams currently, I believe, unbeaten in Mountain West play. I'm going to check my work on that, but I'm pretty sure. No, Fresno State has one Mountain West loss. That's right. They lost to Wyoming. Um, UNLV is unbeaten, though. They're 3-0 and in conference play. They have kind of backed their way into it. The Colorado State game was not the prettiest win in the world, but it's a win all the same. Um, chance for Fresno State to make up some of that ground and knock off an unbeaten team and, and put itself right back into position for, you know, contending for and, and probably going to the conference title game. Um, I don't know the status here of, uh, of Mikey Keene. I, I, let me, let me look that up real quick. Cause I don't off the top of my head know what his situation is. He did not play against Utah State. He's been, he's been injured. Uh, still uncertain, it says. That would make a pretty big difference. It would be nice to see him out there. 
Uh, Logan Fife, in his place, to his credit, has played pretty well. I, I think he has taken some steps forward in his development. He's been better this year, certainly than, certainly than he was last year. He's also only played a fourth quarter and one full game, but I was impressed with what he did against Utah State. Um, if if everything is relatively equal health-wise and Fresno State gets a couple defenders back, they've been down some guys. They're not getting Cam Lockridge back at corner, but everybody closer to healthy coming off of a bye week, they are, they're better, and I think they will probably send sort of a wake-up call here for, for UNLV, which has been getting by, but has not really seen, save for Michigan, has not really seen a team on this this caliber, especially not in the Mountain West. I I I think Fresno State's probably just too good for for UNLV to handle. I think physically they can't really they don't really have the bodies. It's it's there's a lot of games like that on this week's slate where it's just fun to upstart in a first or second year against a team that has been doing it and and it just the, those matchups yeah. are not really favorable. It's it's hard to break through in those situations. UNLV's defense is not good, especially against the run. Fresno State's been figuring out some things on the ground. I, I it, w- it would take a really, really good performance from the UNLV offense, which it's capable of, but it would also take finishing drives, which it is not capable of. It has not been good at that. I think Fresno State probably wins this one at home and, and claws its way right back up to the top of the Mountain West race. Yeah, and even to the point of, of Fresno State having been done it for a while, like UNLV also has played perhaps the worst schedule in the country. Yeah. Like they have just not beaten anybody of consequence. Like I, I think they are just not prepared for a game like this where fresno state not just in the past several years even this year has been in a couple of wars and knows what a good team looks like and i yeah. don't know if unlv has that yeah um, I, i'm worried about the i'm worried about yeah. the rushing attack too which has been pretty good for them this season but it was really really shaky against colorado state if you can't run on those guys you're not going to run on fresno state and then you'd be putting it all on a a young quarterback in Jaden Maiava who has been playing well. He's he's played really well given the circumstances. He has good receivers with with uh, Ricky White and Jacob DeJesus and and Seneca McKee, but you would probably need to be able to run the ball to win this game and I have my concerns about their ability to do that against this front and this defense because they don't really fall for the shit. They don't really fall for window dressing and if you don't have that in a Brendan Marion offense, you're not running the ball. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um <clears throat> the other game here, the final one of slate is Oregon State uh at Arizona. Um this is one of the best games of the day. Okay. Um, I am actually really intrigued by this one. I hate to say this because we've had a lot of t- uh, stock making fun of Jed Fish. Yeah, I think this Arizona team is actually pretty goddamn good. Okay. Um, they. I, I don't agree I or mean, disagree. I'm just uh, okay. I I, yeah. I could understand it. Yeah. They they beat the hell out of Wazoo on the road last time we saw them play, which was two weeks ago. They just had a bye week. Um, they played really tight with USC and Washington before that. Both were one score games. Uh, they beat Stanford, and which is not, not saying much, but like more importantly, stylistically, they match up very well against Oregon State. Um, yeah, they passed this the, Oregon State they passed team, the shit out of the football. That's that's the big thing. The <laughs> they passed the shit out of the football. Their offense has been and, really good. And the only loss for Oregon State this year uh, is at Wazoo, which has a very comparable passing attack. Arizona's might even be a smidge better, yeah, uh, with Noah Fafita. Um, and unlike Washington State, which has no run defense. Uh, Arizona's run defense is, like, shockingly very good. Uh, they are third in EPA per play. Sorry, second EPA per play, 48th in success rate, which is not, like, stellar, but good enough, right? Like, 
this is a above average run defense. Yeah. Uh, the, to the, me at this point, the line in the front seven specifically has been pretty, pretty solid for them. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. Um, I've been pretty impressed by them and they have been in some really tight games, seem to be learning from it and gaining confidence from how well they played against really good teams, including beating the shit out of Wazoo. Yeah. Uh, again, on the road. Um, they're at home in this one. I mean, Oregon state is a different animal than any of these teams they played. Oregon State's very physical on their own right. Yeah. Right. They are not scared of a tough game. They can run the ball at you all day. Um, and they can hit some big shots over the top. I mean, this is a team that I think has a lot of confidence in itself. Um, but just from a stylist perspective of the way Oregon State matches up with their bad secondary, I, I just doesn't make it unfair. The secondary has been better than we expected this year on some metrics, but still not good. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Arizona's work with a very mobile quarterback who evades some of that uh, impressive Oregon State pass rush. Like, I think there are some real concerns here that just, you know, in a Styles make fight game, Styles make fights rather, um, that Arizona can really keep this one close just by how they, how they play the game. Yeah. I think they're a quality football team. Okay. Um, I'm fascinated. By this one. It's probably one of the games I'm most excited to watch all day. Yeah. This is, this is a really fun, interesting matchup. Something that I am very curious about here within that styles makes fight, make, make fights uh, idea is the one of the the kind of weird things I, I think a thing that, that you wouldn't necessarily think from the way that Arizona plays um, one of the weird things about the way that this offense operates is that it basically does not have explosive plays they're 118th in explosiveness offensively they just don't no matter like despite the fact that they pass the shit out of the ball they don't really get beyond the catch and the catch is usually not that far down the field they have they've had them at times they have receivers I think who can do that, but this has very much been the an offense that operates in the style of the passing game is an extension of the running game. We want to be efficient more than we want to be explosive. We want safe throws for the young quarterback, get the ball into the hands of the receivers, and then just live to play another down. Um, that is that is interesting because I think that probably the best way if you are playing against this Oregon State defense to move the ball is with those explosive downfield passing plays, taking advantage of the secondary. You can dink and dunk, and I think they will, but my concern is opting to to have as many plays as possible offensively, to have as many dropbacks as possible offensively, rather than going for kill shots. I worry about how that ho- how that opens up an offensive line that is purely average, I think, uh, to a defense that creates a lot of big plays, a lot of havoc. They blitz really well. They have really creative blitz design. Um, they are, the longer an offense is on the field, the more opportunity you are giving Oregon State to make big game-changing plays defensively. I don't love that approach for this. I, 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 and I get that that's just the Arizona strategy and it has worked pretty well for them. I think if you are trying to beat this defense, having them on the field for a longer period of time and giving them more shots at taking you off the field with a big play is really risky. I, I, I don't... As, as within a within a matchup that is not favorable in the passing attack against Oregon's pass defense, there is some stuff in there that Oregon State can take advantage of with the way that it blitzes, the way that it pressures a young quarterback. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I agree with all of that, man. I don't know, like, like I think you can talk yourself into this one from so many different perspectives. Yeah, this is I don't know. This is like probably other than, I mean, obviously Ohio State, Wisconsin's big for me, and. I'm very excited for Oregon, Utah. But other than that, this is probably the game I'm most excited to watch all day. 
it feels very even. It, it it does feel like you could talk yourself pretty much into whatever whatever you want. Um, I think it should be really fun. I'm glad that we're getting it in a in a in a slate where it can kind of shine and where it gets to be the main focus. Um, it's uh, I'm glad it doesn't that they didn't like pop Colorado USC or UCLA back here and, and you know be splitting interest with that. This is a good football game. This this should be really entertaining. If Oregon State wins this one. And, uh, you know, gets the job done against that offense. You have to, I, I think, start to start to consider these guys as real, like, upper crust contenders in this conference. They only have one conference loss. They get um, basically two bye weeks <laughs> after this with Colorado and, and Stanford. If they can beat Arizona, they can certainly beat Colorado. It's, it's a pretty similar approach, but less efficient. Um, and a worse defense by a pretty wide margin. And then it's Washington and, and Oregon to close out the season. And those are immutable, and those are going to be very, very difficult games for Oregon State to win. But if they win this one, they are, you'd have to think, feeling very good uh, heading into the last month of the season. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, can't wait to watch it, man. Yeah. Everyone's going to stay up late, get some caffeine um, or other stimulants. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna have a Michael Irvin style evening to watch this one. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for this game. Yep, should be fun. Should be a fun week of college football, and we will be back to recap it on the show in which we recap things. The, you, the traditional show, as we all know and love, a recap style podcast. We will talk to you all then. <laughs>